0: Amen. Praise the Lord. Turn with your, uh, turn in your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter fourteen. We'll start with uh, Matthew fourteen tonight. I want to uh, teach a message that I've taught um, numerous times. None of the, they all come out different every time that I take the same topic or subject. But I want to talk to you about God's compassion to heal. It's one of the things that uh, that I have to remind myself about and keep before my eyes. But it thrills my heart to see what the Bible says about God's willingness to heal and why. We'll uh, start in Matthew chapter 14. Rather than read some of the preceding verses, let me tell you the story. I'm sure most of you are familiar with it. The the Bible tells us about John the Baptist being killed by Herod. Herod was afraid of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the one saying that he had acted unlawfully by taking his brother's wife uh, to himself. And so... She hated John the Baptist, Herod hated John the Baptist, and uh, anybody that favored the the king in that respect was against John. But his daughter pretty much tricked him into um, committing himself to whatever she asked, and then she asked for John the Baptist's head. And so he honored his word, King Herod honored his word to his stepdaughter, and it tells us that um, um, when the news came out, Beginning in, well, let's start reading with verse 13. It said, When Jesus heard of it, and that's talking about the, be- the beheading of John, he departed thence by ship into a desert place apart. And when the people had heard thereof, they followed him on foot out of the cities. And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them and healed their sick. Now, I want you to notice the connection that he makes there. They were He was moved with compassion toward them and he healed their sick. Now I'm going to turn to Psalm 90 uh, Psalm 10 Psalm 145, verses 8 and 9. It says, The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and of great mercy. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all of his works. Now I want you to notice that last phrase. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all of his works. That means that God is the same toward everyone. If he had compassion, toward the multitudes and healed their sick, then it means God has the same compassion on you and I and on anybody that related to this same subject of sickness and disease and or disease. And it tells us that his goodness is the same. He's no respecter of person. His goodness is the same and his tender mercies are over all of his works. That has to mean, if if words mean anything, that has to mean everything that God did was because of mercy. Well, if we look at Jesus and the things that he did, a big part of his ministry was healing the sick, delivering people from satanic oppression and so forth. Well, if the Lord, if this is really telling us the truth, if Psalm 145 means what it says, then that means that the same compassion that Jesus shows in the Bible identifies for us in his healing ministry here on the earth, it has to be the same for you and me. Otherwise, God would be a respecter of persons, and these scriptures would be a lie. Now, the words compassion and mercy throughout the Old Testament are almost interchangeable. There are many places where one word is translated, one of the the two primary words in the Old Testament for compassion and mercy. Both of them are translated compassion in some places and mercy in other places. So there's really not much difference between compassion and mercy. And notice it gives us some characteristics about God's nature. It says, the Lord is gracious. One translation says, or the, uh, actually the Hebrew definition of gracious means disposed to show favors. It's saying that God is disposed to show favors. Now we talk about some people's disposition. We say some people have a, a sunny disposition. They're always up. They're always happy. They're always on go. And we say that other people have a sour disposition. They're always pessimistic. They're always down in the dumps. Nothing suits them. Nothing ever works right for them. That kind of thing. Well, by disposition, we mean what they're usually like. Or maybe, in some people's case at least, what people are always like. Well, this is talking about God. He's disposed to show favors. God's definition or God's disposition. I'll get the right word here in a minute. God's disposition Is to give gifts to mankind. That's what he's disposed to do. He's disposed to show favor. That means he's disposed to single you out. To show you how good he is. To meet your needs. To help you. To heal you. To deliver you from the work of the devil. That's his disposition. We don't have to pray and talk him into doing anything. He's already disposed to be better to you and me. Than we would ever think that he would. That's his disposition and it never changes. He's not up one day and down the next. He's not happy one day and sad the next. He's always the same. He shows the same goodness to all. He doesn't play favorites. And the works that he does here on the earth, every work, every healing uh, that we read about in the scripture, every miracle that is done is because of his mercy he's disposed to show favors and he's compassionate, full of compassion and of great mercy. Now, between the two words, compassion and mercy, that are used in the Old Testament, there's only one word or one of the two words, I should say, has a little um, additional definition in the Hebrew language that distinguishes it from any other word. And that is where the, Where the Bible talks about and translates compassion or mercy. And like I said, both of these words are translated both ways. But one of the two words means he's full of eager yearning. He's full of eager yearning. So when it says God's mercies are over all of his works, it means God is eager. He yearns to show favor unto you. He yearns to operate according to his word. He yearns to fulfill his word. He yearns to heal. If his mercies are over all of his works and healing is a part of the work that he did. Then according to the definition, one of the definitions of the word mercy and compassion is that he's full of eager yearning. Now we see this in operation in Jesus' ministry in Mark chapter 1. A leper comes to Jesus. Beginning in verse 40, it said, There came a leper to him, beseeching him and kneeling down to him and saying unto him, If thou wilt. Thou canst make me clean. Now, leprosy was an incurable disease. There are very few accounts of people that were healed from leprosy until Jesus came on the scene. But this leper recognizes the power of God on Jesus. But his question is, do you will to heal me? Now, folks, without a doubt, nothing else even comes close. The first thing that you've got to deal with and the, the hardest thing that you have to deal with somebody in the present day to, uh, for them to be able to receive their healing is you have to make sure that they understand that it's always God's will to heal. Because the church has done a number ministry, the ministry gifts in the church have done a number on the body of Christ, the believers in the church over, well, two, almost 2000 years. And the church, a, a, a large segment of the church, maybe I should say it better that way, a large segment of the church believes and is preached forever. It seems that it's not God's will to heal everybody. And, and that, uh, that doctrine, that belief, there's only one way, or there's only one thing that would create that. Certainly the devil would like the church to, to fail to believe that God's will is to heal. The devil would love the church to preach like a lot of it does. That sometimes God's healed, but you never... Sometimes God heals. Sometimes he wills to heal some. But you can't ever know whether it's his will to heal you. And as such, so many Christians, sincere Christians, love God with all their hearts. But so many times, Christians pray, Lord, if it be will, your will, heal me. Well, you can't pray the prayer of faith. The Bible talks about the prayer of faith healing the sick. And you cannot pray the prayer of faith if you don't know what the will of God is. Faith begins where the will of God is known. So this leper knows about the power of God, but he doesn't know about God's will. That's the place where a lot of the church falls. That's the very position that a lot of the church takes in this present day. And there again, just like I said, they'll pray. Heal me if it's your will, Lord. Well, nobody ever gets healed praying that kind of prayer. You cannot get healed praying that kind of prayer. It's the prayer of faith that heals the sick. And faith is based on knowledge of God's word. So the church for hundreds of years have prayed, Lord, heal me if it's your will, and nobody got healed. It would be impossible for somebody to get healed praying that prayer. And because they failed to receive their healing, they then conclude wrongly, But they then conclude that it's not God's will to heal everybody. Well, folks, that's a vicious circle. Because if you're waiting to get healed to find out if it's God's will, the Bible says you can't receive healing except by praying the prayer of faith, which is based on the knowledge of his will. So it's a catch-22. The church is waiting to see healing to believe it. And the Bible says you've got to believe in healing before you see it. And that circle keeps going round. It spins round and round and round and round and round. And we'll keep spinning around until Jesus comes. It's already been spinning for almost 2,000 years. And will continue until Jesus comes, at least for a segment of the church. But if, on the other hand, we recognize that this story is included in the text of Scripture to give us an example to follow a principle to follow. And that is, of all the people that Jesus healed, of all the multitudes that he healed, of all the people that came to him to receive their healing, which by the way, nobody that ever came to Jesus for healing was turned away or failed to receive. There were many people that failed to receive their healing, but it's because they rejected Jesus. You remember in Mark chapter 6, verse 5, in Jesus' own hometown of Nazareth, the Bible says he could there do no mighty work. It doesn't say he wouldn't. It says he couldn't. And he marveled because of their unbelief. So there were a lot of people in Jesus' ministry that failed to receive healing. But nobody that came to him to receive healing ever failed to receive. Nobody. Well, we have one example. And it's this leper. We have one example. Only one person questioned God's will to heal throughout Jesus' three years of ministry. Only one person that's the number one thing that we'd run into in the modern day church. But in Jesus' days here on the earth, only one guy out of the multitudes, the many, the, how many would we expect? Hundreds? Thousands? I don't know. But out of them all, there's only one that questioned his will to heal. And notice what Jesus did. Now remember, God never changes. God said of himself, I am God, I change not. That should answer the question for us. We know that the Bible says that Jesus never changes. Hebrews thirteen eight says, Jesus, the same yesterday, today, and forever. So whatever, we know that everything Jesus did, he said he did at the will of his father. So we know that whatever Jesus is going to answer is going to be God's will concerning the situation. Identified by this leper about knowing that God can heal, but not knowing if it's his will. That means if Jesus answers anything other than the word of God or the will of God, the father, that means he's a sinner and not a worthy substitute for your sins or mine. But whatever he tells us has to be the will of God put in action. So the leper comes and says, Lord, I believe that you can heal me if you will. And Jesus, verse 41, moves with compassion, moves with compassion put forth his hand and touched him and said unto him, I will be thou clean. Now, folks, if Jesus wills for the man to be healed, then that in, in this uh, circumstance, according to this scripture, that means Jesus wanted him healed in that day. Jesus never changes, so it would have to mean that Jesus wants the same, same thing in our day. If Jesus is answering and acting toward this man based upon the will of God that Jesus said that he came to perform, then that means if it was God's will then, it has to be God's will now. There cannot be any change between the people that lived in Jesus' day and the people that lived in the days of the apostles and the people that live in our day or any other day that we could identify. It has to be the same. Thank God it is. So Jesus moves with compassion. Put forth his hand and touched him, and said unto him, I will be thou clean. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy departed from him, and he was cleansed. And he straightly charged him forthwith and sent him away, and said to him, See thou say nothing to any man, but go thy way, show yourself to the priest, and offer for thy cleansing these things which Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. But that's not what he did. He went out and began to tell everybody. You can understand that. I can't believe that God's mad at the guy because he told everybody he got healed. Now, what was it that brought healing to this leper? What was it that changed this leper's life? The compassion of the Lord. The compassion of Jesus. Jesus was moved with compassion and healed him. Now, if the Lord's tender mercies are over all of his works, God never changes and Jesus never changes. That means if Jesus had compassion for this guy that was sick, then his compassion has to be the same for you and me. His compassion has to be the same for you and me. Now folks, let's identify something. Ask yourself a couple of questions here. Why is this the only example we've got of somebody that believed God could heal but didn't know if he would? That could not have been a prevalent attitude of the day. I know it's a prevalent attitude in most of the church today, the modern day church, but it couldn't have been the issue in Jesus' day couldn't God would have been unfaithful not to give us more examples of it if it was a common thing he's the only guy in the healing ministry of Jesus during the three years that Jesus was ministering here on the earth he's the only guy we have record of questioning God's will we come to a place in Mark chapter 9 where it tells us about the father whose son was uh, oppressed by the devil and had these fits I guess it would be something similar to what we know of as epilepsy now but this thing would try to throw him, his son into the fire. This evil spirit would try to throw him into the water to take his life. The father gets in such a desperate situation that he winds up asking Jesus if he can do anything about this. But we never have another place where anybody questions his will to heal. Only this leper. And Jesus moves with compassion, stretched forth his hand, and immediately healed him. Immediately healed him. He didn't tell him that he was a special case. He didn't tell him he had to get his life right. He didn't tell him he had to take a certain amount of time to make sure that he walked worthy of healing or anything else from God. Jesus was moved with compassion because sickness, the condition of sickness and disease was never God's plan for mankind. Never has been his plan, never will be his plan. God wants you well. He wants every one of us well. He wants every one of us walking in victory. Now, here's here's something that we need to, to look at, need to recognize. Mercy and compassion are functions, are byproducts of love. And love is the greatest thing God is, according to the scripture. We know that he has faith. We know that he does works. But John tells us, 1 John chapter 4 and verses 7 and 8, he says God is love. God is love. Well, if love is not compassion... If love is not mercy, then what, what is love? Now, since the Bible tells us the tender mercies of God are over all of his works, that's just God showing his true nature. His true nature is to be full of eager yearning to do good for you and me. Now, here's another point we need to consider. There's a lot of times in the Old Testament where the people would, would say or sing, the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. We all know that, right? Right? The mercy of the Lord is, uh, God is good and the mercy of the Lord endures forever. Well, if it endures forever, you could well understand that a lot of people would try to take hold of his mercy for healing or any other such thing, healing, deliverance, salvation or whatever. How do we reconcile faith with the mercy of God? See what I'm trying to get to, and you may not be familiar, this is the way that it works in the majority of of christians lives and belief systems. but a lot of people are just trying to rely on his mercy without taking any position of faith of their own they're just relying on the mercy of god for example there was a, a young lady that came some months ago maybe the early part of this year actually she came she made about the last five minutes of one of our Sunday night healing school services. And then after the service, she came up and said that, told me that uh, she had uh, a friend that was familiar with our church. Didn't really attend here, but was familiar with our church and was familiar with the healing school service on Sunday. And so she wanted me to pray for her. Well, you know what my position is on things like that. I always go back to the word. So anytime somebody asked me to pray for them, I ask them, what do you want me to pray And if they tell me, and in many cases it's, I want you to pray for healing for my body, they'll tell me what the situation is, what's wrong, and so forth. And then I'll ask them, what scriptures are you standing on? And more times than not, this doesn't happen much with people in the church, people that regularly attend, because I tell things like what I'm going to ask you. So a lot of people in the church come prepared with something, but people from outside the church have no clue how it's supposed to go. And so they'll talk about something like, for example, this lady's experience. She said 20 years or so ago, she had some sickness or some disease. And out of the blue, not by asking God to do it much, just out of the blue, God healed her. And she wants me to pray a prayer to make that happen again. Well, you know as well as I do that in a situation like that, the healing of God, the power of God to heal came on her just because of his mercy. Not because she was believing anything, not because she was extending any faith. She wouldn't have known what faith was if it walked in the door with the red hat on. She had no clue, no concept about what faith was. Well, and then it was pretty clear she wasn't healed on her own faith. She was healed by a manifestation of the Holy Ghost. And she wanted it to happen that way again. And I told her, I don't control the gifts of the Spirit. I can't pray a prayer and make sure that God does this. In my opinion, I told her, something like that might take place for God to encourage you to get into the word and find out more about him, which she hadn't done. She let 20 some odd years go by without pursuing the God that healed her. But she wants me to pray some prayer and make it work. Well, as I began to talk to her about faith, I began to talk to her about believing what the Bible says about her and about being healed from sickness and so forth. She interrupted me in mid-sentence and said, You know, I thought you'd pray for me, but you won't, so I'm going to go. She didn't even let me finish my statement. She didn't even let me finish telling her what there was to believe, what Jesus had done, what the Bible says, or anything. She walked out. And that's the way so many Christians want to receive their healing they want God to do something so that they don't have to do something. But the Bible says that God sent His word and healed us. It doesn't say God healed us because He's merciful. He's merciful to give us his words, which always brings results. He's merciful to give us healing scriptures that always bring healing results. He's merciful to give us scriptures concerning deliverance from the power of the devil. And those scriptures pertaining to deliverance always works. Turn with me over to Psalm 107. Psalm 107. Let's start reading in verse 17. Fools, because of their transgression and because of their iniquities, are afflicted. Now, folks, that is so often the case. I can point to a lot of places in my life where that certainly fit me in my situation. Not in a long time, but I still remember them from from times past. Fools, because of their transgression and because of their iniquities, are afflicted. Their soul abhorreth all manner of meat, talking about spiritual food, talking about the Word. And they draw near unto the gates of death. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saves them out of their distresses. Verse 20. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. How does God save you from your distresses? Through the word. That's not some new doctrine. It's always been there. This was the way it worked under the old covenant. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness. And for his wonderful works to the children of men and let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare his works with rejoicing. Now, folks, if the Bible says God delivered his word and healed you and we try to obtain healing by some other method. I think we can all agree that's not usually going to work. Now, there are times, thank God, there are where God in his mercy will initiate something. But why does he do that? Does he initiate healing sometimes on his own because he just wants you well so much that you can take the rest of your life off and rest? Or does he initiate healing on his own sometimes to show you how good he is? Just as I said about this lady that came earlier in the year. She had let 20 some odd years pass without finding out one little thing about God. Without wanting to know who the one was that healed her. I just can't believe that's God's plan. Can you? See, folks, Jesus gave everything. He gave his life. You know what he requires of you? The same thing. Everything. Your life. He expects you to be as committed to him because of the goodness and the things that he did by the will of God as a sacrifice and as a substitute for you and what was due for each of us, the spiritual death and destruction that each one of us deserved because of our iniquities, because of our transgressions. He paid for everything. Not just so he could put another gold star in his book and say, well, I, I healed their bodies, but so that we would want to get to know the healer so that we would want to get to know the one who paid the price. Now, in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, perhaps you remember the story. Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, was surrounded by five enemy armies. They were outmanned. They were outgunned. There was no way in a military sense that they would have any success against their enemies. They accepted the position that they were in except God d- does something and delivers us our enemies will destroy us so Jehoshaphat set forth a fast to find out from the Lord what God directed him to do well you remember the story that the spirit of the Lord came upon a prophet Jehaziel I think his name was and he said stand still and see the salvation of the Lord you won't have to fight in this battle but tomorrow go out against them and see what God does see the deliverance that God brings so the next morning they get up and start out to where the Lord told them the spirit of God told them that their enemies were camped and Jehoshaphat remembered the prophecy that they had received before the day before and so he put singers and praisers out in front of the the military group he put the choir out front And it says that they began to sing. And what they sang was about the mercy of God. They sang the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. And the Bible tells us that when they began to sing into praise. The Lord said ambushments. It's because they magnified the mercy of God. That the Lord said ambushments. Now obedience was a factor too. If they had not gone out and just stayed at home by the campfire and sang, the Lord is good His mercy endures forever, it wouldn't have worked. But they obeyed the word that he gave them and magnified the Lord's mercy. Well, what was that? That was certainly faith on their part. God did the work, but they had to believe. They had to believe. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 3. We see similar situations as well. You may remember in Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas are put in jail in the city of Philippi after delivering a little girl from the power of the devil. She was telling fortunes and making money for her masters. And Paul was prompted by the Holy Ghost to set her free, and he did. Her masters saw that their hope for gains is gone. She can't tell fortunes anymore. So they raised a Uh, a ruckus uh, disturbance in the street and paul and silas wind up being thrown in jail for stuff they didn't do false accusations but they find themselves in jail it says in chapter 16 of the book of acts in verse 25 and at midnight paul and silas sang praises unto god prayed and sang praises unto god and the prisoners heard them they didn't just pray but they prayed and sang praises unto god now folks if you were in paul and silas's situation what would you praise God about? What would you pray for? If I'm in jail, I'm going to pray that I get out. How about you? That'd be first and foremost on my mind. Well, then what are they singing for? They're singing praises unto God had to be an example of their faith. Because there's certainly no reason for them to sing about their circumstances. Their backs are bleeding. They've got chains around their hands and their feet. They're even in stocks, the Bible says limited movement and restriction to make sure that they can't get out. Yet they're praying and singing praises unto God at midnight. I believe it was literally midnight, but that certainly represents your darkest hour. And suddenly there was an earthquake and the deliverance of the Lord took place. Everybody's bands fell off. Everybody's chains were opened. Everybody's stocks were removed. That doesn't sound like a natural earthquake to me. Does it you? Well, it's because they were singing about God's goodness. They were singing about God's deliverance. They were offering that sacrifice of praise that Psalm 107 talks about. So here we are in Hebrews chapter 3. I believe Paul is the author here. And Paul is trying to make the, the point all throughout the book of Hebrews. That the new covenant and the ministry of Jesus as a result of the new covenant sacrifice that was made by himself and his own holy blood is greater than anything that the law of Moses could provide. And notice it says in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 1 he said, Wherefore holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession Christ Jesus. Now the point Paul's trying to make is just as Jesus was here on the earth to reveal the will of God. That's why Jesus said he came. He said, I came not to do my own will, but the will of the him that sent me. He said, the works that I do, I do not of myself, but the one that sent me. Every time, every situation, Jesus talked about his own works. He told the people, it's not me that's doing this stuff. Jesus had laid aside his heavenly power and glory in order to come to the earth and be a man. He was all man and he was all God. Because he bypassed an earthly father and was born of Mary, a virgin, a virgin. After that, the Holy Ghost overshadowed her. He's the product of a pure woman and a holy God. Well, as such, Jesus lived a life as a natural man. He didn't do any signs and wonders and miracles. There weren't anything like that in his life until he was anointed of the Holy Ghost when John baptized him in the Jordan River. Now, when the Holy Ghost came upon him and there were witnesses standing around that spoke the testimony of what happened, what took place after that, the Holy Ghost came upon Jesus and remained. The Bible describes it as something like a bird coming down from the sky and landing on Jesus. The people that were there saw it. Then Jesus went back and started doing healing miracles and wonders. Well, if Jesus was anointed of the Holy Ghost because he was the son of God, If he had power because he was the son of God, why didn't he heal the sick before his anointing of the Holy Ghost? And beside that, if Jesus was here on the earth to prove that he was God, who can anoint God? You can't get any higher source. The Bible says God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit are all co-equal, which means one's not above the other. So Jesus has the highest place in the universe if he was operating here on the earth as the son of God. So it'd be foolish for anybody to try to anoint him. Who can anoint God? But the Bible tells us that after Jesus was anointed of the Holy Ghost, when he was baptized by John in the Jordan River, it tells us that that's when Jesus returned into Galilee in the power of the spirit. And he began to do signs and wonders and miracles. He began to do signs and wonders and miracles. Now, every time somebody came to Jesus, Jesus looked for their faith. John chapter 5, he goes to the pool of Bethesda. There's five porches full of sick and impotent and crippled people around. People in, in, if not life-threatening situations, lifelong situations of sickness and disease. And the first thing Jesus looked for was faith. Same thing when uh, when he delegated his healing authority and healing power to others. He told the disciples... The 12 disciples that he sent out two and two into the towns around where he was. The same thing that he told the 70 when he sent them out two and two. He said, if the people will receive you, then heal the sick that are therein. And say, the kingdom of God has come nigh unto you. But he said, if they won't receive you, if they won't believe what you tell them that I've told you. Then they wouldn't have any better success with healing the sick than Jesus did in Nazareth. Nazareth was a city that knew Jesus or thought they knew him because that's where he'd been brought up as a little boy. But what they thought they knew of him created doubt and unbelief in their heart and kept the sick in that town from being healed. So Jesus is always looking for faith. Of the 17 examples of divine healing in the four gospels, almost three quarters of them were healed on their own faith. Jesus told the woman with the issue of blood, for example, in Mark chapter five, daughter, your faith has made you whole. Well, the story tells about the power of God going out of him and into her, but he doesn't credit the power of God for the work. He credits her faith. The reason for that is that her faith initiated the power. Her faith put the power of God in motion to bring forth the healing that Jesus was sent to the earth to accomplish. But now Jesus has a different ministry. Now Jesus isn't walking around on the earth, preaching the gospel and laying hands on the sick. He's left that to us. Well, what is he doing? Well, the Bible says he's seated at the right hand of God as our permanent intercessor. That does not mean Jesus is praying. It means Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the father as an example that holy blood, the blood of Jesus, the precious blood of Jesus was shed to bring us into fellowship with the father. He's the permanent evidence that the price has been paid. He's the proof that there's no condemnation to you or I. That's what it means to be the intercessor. He's the one that bridged the gap between man and God. Man was hopelessly estranged and separated from God until Jesus paid the price for sin and spiritual death. And now that he's seated at the right hand of the Father, he is our high priest. He's the proof of our relationship with God, and the righteousness that comes as a result of receiving him as Lord and Savior. So let's read verse 1 again. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession. This word profession is the same word confession. He's the the apostle and high priest of our confession. So what are we saying? The healing works of Jesus... Had to have tender mercies over it for the Bible to be true. The scriptures we read in Psalm 145. Every healing, every miracle, everything that takes place is because of the compassion of the Lord. Because he healed others by moved with compassion. And he's no respecter of persons. But how does that translate to us? Well, faith is the thing that brings healing to the sick. The prayer of faith shall heal the sick. James 5.14 says. So what are we to do? How can we partake of? How can we take hold of the mercy of God? Through our confession. Through the profession of faith that we make based on what God's word says. Turn with me to chapter 4. Look at verse 14. Here's the work of our high priest. Verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens. Jesus the son of God let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeding of our infirmities. But was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now folks, let me ask you a question. How do we obtain the mercy? How do we get to hold, take hold of the mercy of God to bring healing to our bodies? through the profession of our faith see I guess what I see and I don't don't know if your experience is uh, um, I I don't know if you've experienced this but with the position that I hold and, and the position that we take as far as the healing mercy and the healing power of God the people that come to me are either trying to take hold of it by faith or believing in the mercy of God without any faith being exercised at all and the Bible talks about them being combined. The Bible talks about God being, or Jesus rather, being a faithful high priest, a merciful high priest. Well, how do we take hold of his faithfulness? How do we take hold of his mercy? Through the confession of his word. It's the word, it's faith in God's word that takes hold of the healing mercy of God. That's what the woman with the issue of blood did in Mark chapter 5. The Bible tells us that she had this issue of blood for 12 years, spent everything that she had on doctors, and was nothing better but rather grew worse. When she heard of Jesus, she came in the press behind and touched his clothes. For she said, if I may touch his clothes, I shall be whole. Now what had she heard? She had to hear that people were healed by touching Jesus. That's what she has faith for. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. So to assume that she has or uh, consider speculate that she had faith in something else would be foolish because of what she believes. She tells us what she had to have heard. Well, as soon as she touches Jesus, she feels power, healing power go into her. Now, if the Lord is his mercies are over all of his works, then that means that the, the flow of healing power that went out of Jesus and into her was a merciful act. It was an act of mercy And so she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. That's when Jesus stops walking through the multitude and says, who touched me? And the disciples say, well, everybody's touching you. The multitude's thronging you. That means there's pushing and shoving. Everybody's trying to get to Jesus and touch him. Why are they trying to touch him? Now, nobody's ever going to convince me that the woman with issue of blood was the only person in that multitude that was sick. We never have any other case or any instance where there was only one person in a multitude that was sick. So I have to assume and conclude that the people that are reaching out, trying to touch Jesus in some cases, at least are trying to get healed from their own sickness or disease. At the very least, they're trying to obtain some blessing or some thing from the Lord. Otherwise, why reach out and touch him? But she's the only one that reached out and touched him in faith out of the whole multitude. She's the only one that reached out and touched him by faith. And therefore, she was the only one that triggered the healing power of God to affect a healing and a cure in her body. So she told Jesus all the truth. She fell down before him and told him all the truth. Jesus knows somebody touched me differently than anybody else in this crowd. One person based on their own action, not based on what God wanted. God wants every sick person to be well. He wants all of his children to be free from sickness and disease. Jesus certainly had enough healing power to heal anybody and everybody in that crowd, but only one person takes hold of it. And when she explains to Jesus what she did and how things had happened and transpired to get her to that place, Jesus said, daughter, your faith has made you whole. Does that mean God's mercy didn't play a part? No, it was her mercy, it was the mercy of God that made healing available, healing power available through Jesus for her to take hold of. But her faith was the thing that did it. Her faith was the thing that did it. So what do we conclude from these things? What does this mean? It means, folks, that the Bible tells us over and over and over again that God longs to produce and provide healing for our bodies. He's full of eager yearning for the power of God, the healing power of God to effect a change in our bodies. He wants nothing more than healing for you and me. Now, the way I said that, I hope you don't think that I mean he only wants you to be healed and nothing else. No, what I'm trying to say is he wants nothing of all the goodness and all the mercy that he's shown toward us. He wants nothing more than he wants us to walk in health. But faith is the thing that takes hold of it. I like the thought of God being full of eager yearning. F.F. F. Bosworth on this subject in his book, Christ the Healer, talks about the healing mercy of God, the goodness of God being like the, the Pacific Ocean. He said, if you could lift the Pacific Ocean, the the vastness of that body of water, and have it hanging over your head as a symbol or a sign or an example of God's healing power towards you. He points out that that water, that massive ocean above your head, would be straining at every opportunity, pushing, trying to get out of that place, that position, and to the earth, back to the earth where it belongs. He said, that's the way the mercy of God is toward us. That's the way the compassion of the Lord works. God is hovering above our heads, so to speak, in a spiritual sense, desiring so greatly the healing power of God to push through the barrier and come down upon us. I like that image. Folks, the simple fact is, and this is hard for us to accept, but the Bible says it in so many different ways. God wants you to be well more than you want to be well. Now, if you've ever had to fight any sickness or disease, any serious sickness or disease, you know how much you want to be well. But God wants it for you even more. So what do we do? Through the profession of our faith, we go to the throne of God and we obtain mercy We obtain the healing power of God so that the word of God comes into reality exactly as it says. He sent his word and healed us and delivered us from our destructions. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much. We thank you for the precious blood of Jesus that was shed for us to be well. Therefore, we declare, we profess, even as the word tells us, Jesus took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses and with his stripes, we are healed. We're not going to be healed someday. We are healed now. And no matter how it looks, no matter how we feel, we take hold of the heaving mercy, the heaving power of God. Even as the word says in the Old Testament, Lord, in Micah chapter 7 and verse 18, you delight in mercy. You delight in mercy. In mercy so we thank you father that your mercy endures forever we thank you lord that your healing power is made available to each and every one of us that take hold of it by faith that believe it in our hearts because your word says so and speak with our mouths the healing work of god being accomplished thank you father for your goodness and your mercy In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you for being with us. We love you. Have a great week.